0: Well, let's take our Bibles this evening, okay? And some folks have asked since some of the ladies are over there doing through their Bible study. What we'll be doing over here? Well, what we've been going through, alright? As we considered or started rather our Bible study a few Sunday evenings ago as we considered and started to consider this series of study. Looking at this. Things that just don't make sense, alright? Now, have you found anything this week that doesn't make any sense. I'll tell you what I found. I found out there's a vegan who loves ribeyes. Not making it up? I'm like, look, I love a good ribeye. All right, love it. That's a great cut of steak there because it's got the perfect amount of fat on it with enough meat, you know what I'm saying? But... (laughs) For a vegan to like that, that just don't make a lot of sense to me, you know. Don't make a lot of sense. And I found out there's some other folks who are Yankees fans. Again, that don't make a lot of sense to me, but that's okay, you know. And there are some folks out there that don't like football. This is football season. How can you not like football? But there are some folks out there like that, okay. But to me, to me now, that don't make any any sense. But, um, but there's some phrases and uh, other portions of Scripture we can read and consider, and as we read them, we, we, we look at them, we scratch our head, and we think, what? what in the world was that? I don't want to completely understand everything that verse of Scripture was teaching. That just didn't make a lot of sense. And uh, some of those principles or phrases or portions of Scripture that come to mind are, are these. As Jesus was preaching, uh, there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, he says this, but I say unto you to love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now for our natural mind, this does not make a lot of sense to our natural mind to pray for the very ones who hate you, for the very ones who, who want to curse you, the very ones who are, are your very enemies, soul enemies, to actually pray for them, to actually love them. To our natural mind, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But understand, this is taught in Scripture. But to us, natural mind doesn't make sense. Or this one: Romans chapter twelve, verse twenty-one. Be not overcome of evil, or be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Now, again, our natural mind this does not make a lot of sense because we want to fight fire with fire, right? Anybody else like that with me? Don't raise your hand, okay? But that's what we want to do. We want to come over, overcome evil with evil. But scripture teaches plainly to overcome it with, with good. Or how about this one, which is actually one we're going to consider this evening. But in Mark chapter 10, verse 43 through 44, it says this, But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be chiefest shall be servant of all. Now again, in our world, in our secular world today, that does not make sense. Because this is not what they teach. Whatsoever, if you're the boss, you don't serve. If you're the head honcho, you don't serve. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But as we study these portions of Scripture and look at them and consider them, after at the end of it, made on, on the very onset, doesn't make sense. But at the end of it, it should. As we study them and apply them to our life, all right. So so far in our study in this series, we have considered this phrase. It may not make a lot of sense in the very beginning, but it's this phrase we considered: consider your trials. A joy. Now again, that doesn't make a lot of sense in the very beginning of that. But understand, when you see the trials are for your good, in order for us to grow, to mature, to make us more like Jesus, it's then when we know that's what's going to happen, it's then we can have joy knowing that God has a bigger and better plan for those trials and difficulties we go through knowing that nothing's wasted with the Lord. Everything has a meaning and can be meaningful. Therefore, we can consider our trials a joy. Last time, we considered this one. We considered this phrase from Scripture found in 2 Corinthians when Paul says this to the Corinthian church, ye ought rather to forgive. Now again, in our world, this phrase would not make a lot of sense. Society would not teach this. Rather, they would teach that you and I, if someone offends us, we should get even with them. They would teach that revenge is sweet. And if, it's, if it, it, revenge will bring about closure in the hurt. But again, this is not what the Bible teaches. Instead, it teaches this. You ought rather to forgive. For it's in forgiveness we can find freedom. It's found in there, not in revenge. But again, in the very beginning of it, the onset of some, onset of, some of these uh, phrases, it doesn't make sense. Well, after you consider them a little while, it makes perfect sense. All right, today, let's consider this one, okay? And we're going to be in John chapter 13 for this this evening. Let's consider this phrase. The greatest is the servant. The greatest is the servant. Now, again, as you consider this phrase, it doesn't make a lot of sense, especially from a secular world view. But this, because this is not what the world would teach us today. You see, the world... Uh, says that greatness means that you would ascend to preeminence among men. It means that you would become the boss. It means you'd become the head honcho. you become number one. You'd become the CEO, right? You'd be the man or the woman, whatever. Uh, that's what they would teach. That's what greatness truly is. And when you think of greatness, many times people will equate greatness with people who have power or people who have position or people who have popularity. And when you think of that, when you think of those types of things, power, position, and popularity, uh, who comes to mind or what comes to mind? Someone talk to me this evening. Who comes to mind? President comes to mind, right? Good. Maybe some of those things. All right. But uh, anyway, who else comes to mind? Or what else? Maybe movie star, right? Or maybe some popular musician, whatever it may be. But these, things, these kind of things is what comes, comes to mind or some other influencer. But for most folks, this is what they think of when they think of, of greatness. But this is not what would be on the list of Jesus' list of greatness, all right? He would not put at the top the people that are popular. He would not put at the top the people who are full of power. He would not put at the, at the top those who may have some kind of position or prestige. That is not who would make the greatness list of Jesus. But according to Jesus, greatness means this. Rather, not ascending to power, but rather descending to a humble service. Greatness, according to Jesus, will be more stooping down instead of stepping up. The Bible says this in Matthew 23, 11 through 12. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. This is greatness. According to Jesus Christ, this this is greatness. And if we want to please the Lord, if we want to live for Christ, then this is the definition of greatness. We should follow by being a servant, serving one another, ultimately serving the Lord. But service, being a servant. So let's consider the matter of service and being a servant uh, this evening. And to get the best picture, to get the best example of service and of being a servant, we need to look to none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, all right? And we're gonna find that. We're gonna find that in John chapter thirteen. And we'll read it in just a moment. But as you come to this portion of scripture, it is for me, it is very humbling to read. And no doubt this event in Scripture was very humbling as well to these disciples. It had been a very humbling experience. Because the lesson that Jesus was teaching these men was on being a servant. But how did he do it? How did he teach this lesson? Well, he taught it as he washed their feet. Now, don't get nervous, okay? We ain't doing that this evening. okay? We are not going to wash each other's feet, so keep your shoes on, please, all right? But uh, we're not doing that. But we're going to notice the lesson he gives. And really the lesson is on service. It's on service. But just before we read this portion of Scripture, I want us to put a a few things in perspective. of Things that was taking place at this this moment. Uh, Here in John chapter 13, this portion of Scripture is often referred to as the Last Supper. And many things have transpired and are transpiring uh, during during this time. So let me give you a little bit of a timetable if I can do that and help aid in our understanding of this portion of Scripture, all right? So keep in mind, uh, at this moment, uh, the disciples have found an upper room that can be used to partake in the Passover meal which, uh, by the way, it had been nearly impossible to find a room at this time with all the family coming in town from out of town to observe the Passover. But, uh, but they found a room, because just as Jesus told them there would be one. But they got a room to, to do that. Uh, but as they gathered together, they would have sat down around the table or sat down around the food. And instead of sitting down like we would today in chairs, they would rather sit down in more of a reclining position, all right, just so you know that, but more of a reclining position. And you see that in Matthew chapter 26, verse 20. But then at this moment too, as they're sitting around about to partake in the food and the fellowship there, they begin to argue. They begin to argue over who would be the greatest. Luke chapter 22 and verse 24. And as I see this, as they're beginning to argue here, it's almost like a picture in my mind, toddlers fighting over who gets to sit next to their best friend at the table. And just so you know, though we look at these disciples and these, these apostles, and we see them as great men, right? Faithful men, men of God. Understand, they had their flaws too, right? They struggled and battled pride just like you and I do as well. But also in this event, during this timetable, you would have Judas be announced, uh, by Jesus as the traitor, Matthew chapter 26, verse 21 through 25. And because this man made an agreement, Judas made an agreement, contract, really with hell, but with the Jews to betray the sinless Lamb of God. Also, during this time, Jesus would institute the Lord's Supper as an ordinance to the church, Matthew 26, verse 26 through 29. Uh, Jesus is, gives what I would call the Supper Sermon, John chapter 13, verse 31 through John chapter 14, verse 31. And after the the supper sermon is concluded, they all would sing a hymn and go out to the garden of Gethsemane. And it's there that Jesus would pray with the inner circle and soon would be betrayed again by Judas, taken in custody by the Roman Roman guard and taken off to a false trial where ultimately he'd be beaten and crucified for the sins of the world. But right in the midst of all this, right in the middle of this uh, Passover time where Jesus gathers with his disciples, to partake in the Last Supper, to give them the ordinance of the Last Supper, to do this in remembrance of him, to to do all these things with his disciples. Right in the very middle of this, Jesus washes feet to teach these guys a lesson of humble service. So let's look at it, all right? John chapter 13, and let's just read... uh, Let's read the first 17 verses. I don't think there's any time wasted effort in reading the Word of God. All right, so let's look at it. Verse number 1, John 13, verse number 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. He rises from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. And Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He's always talking out of turn, you know. Verse 10, Jesus saith to him, he that is washed needeth not not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit." And you are clean, but not all. And that portion, I believe he's talking about Judas, all right. Verse 11, for he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, you are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. He never denied who he was, folks, never. Verse 13, 14 rather. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Our Father, I pray again that you would help us to grasp this great importance of being a servant. And as we read this portion of Scripture, yes, ultimately, absolutely. To serve you with our lives, but even serve one another. And By this shall all men know you are my disciples, have loved one to another. That verse comes to mind, Lord, and help us, I pray, to serve one another and to grasp this concept of service. We love you. Thank you for being the ultimate servant and giving your life for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so when it comes to this service, there's a few things like for us to consider. Number one, I want you to consider this. I want you to know when it comes to service, serve no matter who you are, all right? No matter who you are, because sometimes when people hear the word service uh, or servant, they think it's below them. Some would think that service is only for the weak and uneducated. That's what they would say. Some may hear the word servant and put themselves or puff themselves up rather with pride and say this. I am no one's servant. I'm not serving anybody. What do you mean servant? Don't dare say I have a servant's heart, you know. Some people take offense to that. Well, they don't want to be called or considered considered a servant because they say I don't serve anyone, which really, honestly, is not true. We're serving someone. Sadly, sometimes that's ourselves, all right? But we're serving someone. We're serving someone. So, but we get the, get the picture or really the sense that the disciples, even in this moment, had that, had that mentality at this time. That they thought, listen, I'm no one's servant. We are, we are walking with the king. We are walking with Jesus. We know who he is. He's God coming to flesh. Why would we serve anybody? So even in this moment, understand, they were fussing over who would be the greatest. So they had that mentality. I believe they did it even at this moment. They would not serve anyone that is beneath them. But we need to understand these fellows, they knew to serve. And even in this, this moment, in this context, they knew to serve because they knew the customs of the time. They knew at the time, especially the Passover, they knew when you come into someone's home, in someone's house, a servant would come and wash your feet to get all the dirt and all the grime off of your feet as not to attract the mud and the nastiness throughout the house. But especially customary at this time, uh, of the Passover, Passover meal, but who's going to do that? Uh, of these guys and of this moment, who's going to serve? Who's going to wash these old nasty feet, all right? Who's going to play the part of a servant? Now, by the way, just not any servant would, would do this. Not just anyone uh, of the service at uh, this time would just wash feet. This was reserved for the lowest servant In the house, the low man on the totem pole, kind of speak, all right? This was the worst job to have, to wash people's feet. I mean, could you imagine with me this evening trying to wash or or washing people's feet? I don't like feet to begin with, okay? But to wash these feet during this time would have been absolutely disgusting. You see, they didn't have the the boots and the shoes that we have today. No, they just simple, they had simple uh, sandal type, open toed type of 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 shoes all right flip-flops those kind of things that's what they would have had and so they walked just about everywhere they went so you can imagine the grime and the dust and the dirt that would get on their feet and yes even some of the other nasty stuff as they walked down the road because as donkeys and horses would go down the same road they didn't pull them off to the side to use the grassy area with their doggy bag if you know what I'm saying, okay? They left that stuff to stay, okay? And to fertilize the ground, all right? So you can imagine walking down the road and hmm, stepping through that. But anyway, that could be on their feet. I'm just saying, all right? But it's nasty. You can imagine the nastiness that could have been on the feet of even these men. So this service of washing feet was reserved for the lowest slave, lowest servant in the house. And not one of the disciples was prepared to be this humble to wash feet, not even the feet of their own master and Lord, as they, they said him to be. They were not prepared to do that. But knowing, understand, Jesus, knowing his hour, as the Bible says in verse 1, has come, he put aside his garment, grabs a towel and a bowl of water, and begins to be that lowest servant in the house. The king of kings has descended to the lowest servant in the house at this very moment. And as I think of that, this verse comes to mind in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Understand, though all the angels in heaven, the seraphim, the cherubim, the archangels, all of them would bow to Jesus. This same Jesus, this same Lord, this same King of kings would bow himself to become the lowest servant in the house at this moment and wash these nasty Feet, and these guys, by the way, would not have been very easy to serve. Not been very easy to to wash feet this way. Well, it just wouldn't have been. Because think of who the audience is here. Uh, think of who's around the food and around this fellowship and around the table at this moment. Think who's here. And when you start thinking about the individuals, the men who's in this group of men, think of serving them this way. Think of serving Peter. Now we know about Peter, open mouth, insert foot, Peter. He did that even here in John chapter 13, you know. But even Peter would say later on, he'd say, the all men forsake you, I will not. I'm willing to even go to death for you, Jesus. But we know that later on, what he do after the arrest of Christ? He would deny Jesus three times. And on that last time, he used some very uh, foul language to do so. We know what he did. And Jesus, knowing all things, he himself knew what would happen. But what did he do? He descended, humbled himself to wash the feet of a denier. We also know in this group of men would have been Thomas. And we know about Thomas. What's he known for? Tell me. He's Thomas the what? He's what? The doubter. Doubting Thomas. We know about him. And we know you can find that in John chapter 20, verse 19 to 29, when the disciples told him, look, man, you, you, should have, you should have been there with us after Jesus showed himself alive to us. We saw the print of, his, print of the nails. We saw, we saw him alive. And what did Thomas say? If I don't but take my finger and put it into the print of the nails or thrust my hand through his side, I won't believe he was a doubter. But Jesus knew he would do that. He knew that that would happen with Thomas. But what did he do anyway? He still washed his feet. But even in the midst of this, all the other men, of course, would, would flee and run after Jesus was, was arrested falsely. They would forsake him and flee. But there's another here at this moment he was still part of the group whose feet Jesus washed. And that is Judas Iscariot. And these were devil's feet, by the way. But what did Jesus do? Humbled himself to wash To wash these feet. And I can't imagine this moment. I try to picture it in my mind as I think of Judas, as Jesus going around the circle of men and washing their feet one after another and after another. And he comes to Judas and begins to wash his feet as well. Judas, knowing what he has done and knowing what Jesus is doing, surely in this moment could have humbled himself and asked for forgiveness. Asked Jesus to forgive him, no doubt Jesus would have, but in this moment he wouldn't. He continued to reject. Don't you know Jesus knew that? But what did Jesus do anyway? He washed his feet. He became that servant and washed his washed his feet. Look, Jesus has given a great example of service here in John chapter thirteen when it comes to descending yourself, humbling yourself, and washing feet. Then I want to see this. Not only do we serve no matter who you are, but serve no matter how old you are, no matter how old you are. Now, no doubt there were different age groups that represented here around this supper table, if you will. And uh, I tend to believe at least that Peter was probably the oldest disciple. Every time you see a list of disciples, his name comes first. Uh, we know him to be uh, married at this time. Uh, no doubt he loved his mother-in-law, just like I love my mother-in-law. She's my very favoritist one, but anyway, okay. But I believe he didn't be the oldest, oldest of the disciples. And some of the younger ones I tend to believe would be Mark and John. Uh, we know that Mark in his gospel record, as you read it, you'll find uh, action words like immediately and straightway. You find those words over 40 times in his gospel record. He's, he's a man of action. He's just wanting to tell you everything that's going on. This reminds me of a, of a younger man who, oh, and then, and then this, and then that, and then this. And you're like, okay, okay, okay. Slow down a little bit, all right? I'm too old to hear all of that. But I tend to think he's maybe a younger man. Uh, John, of course, we know he—at he, least by history—tells us he lived to be the, the the oldest of all the disciples. So I, I tend to believe he was younger at this, at least at this moment. So I, in this, around this group of men, there there were men who ranged in ages. All right, Peter maybe being the oldest, John and Mark maybe being maybe being the youngest. But there's definitely some age gaps, and yet the Lord is letting these guys know: you're never too young, you're never too old. To serve, why? Because he's teaching this lesson to all these men, all of them. He's saying, "Serve what I've done to you, you do to others. Serve, serve one another. You're never too old. You're never too young. No matter your age, serve. So when it comes to serving, I want to tell the younger generation this verse, Ecclesiastes 12.1, all right? Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Uh, This comes from the wise man himself, Solomon. He had everything, anything he ever wanted. But maybe in this moment, as he finishes up and concludes there in Ecclesiastes, maybe he wished he had gone back in his his youth and remembered his creator a little more than he did. Maybe he wished he had done that. I want you to know something, young people in here. Listen, you'll never regret the days you served God with your life, even as a young person. Serve God the Lord. David never regretted it. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 33. Here's what the Bible says about him. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go into Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth. And he a man of horror from his youth. And verse 44 or 42 of that same chapter. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy. a no fair countenance. But it's this youthful, ruddy, uh, young boy, David. He was the youngest brother. It was at this moment that he killed the mighty Goliath as a young man. Why? Because he remembered the Lord in the days of his youth. Remember the Lord. Timothy did in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 12. When the Bible says this, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation. In charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Timothy served the Lord for many years. But that started when? When did that start? When he was a young man. You'll never regret the days of serving the Lord, even as a young person. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. But to the um, not as younger generation, all right? We also need to serve the Lord. I'm reminded of several individuals in scripture who served God fully in their latter years. Remember Moses? How old do you remember how old was, was Moses when he began to serve the Lord? Do you remember? 80. 80, is right. He was 80 years old when he began to serve the Lord. He did so till he was 120 years old, and at the time of his death, the Bible says his eye was not dim nor his natural force abated meaning he was still strong to serve and his eyes of course still has eyesight and still strong to serve he served the lord in his latter latter years in his older age he served god i'm also reminded of caleb do you remember how old caleb was when he says i want that mountain do you remember how old he was 85 that's right 85 when he said i want that mountain he was still serving God. He served alongside of, of Joshua as he went through the conquest of Canaan in his 70s and into his 80s. He was serving the Lord. And Joshua himself, he was, he was around between 70 and 80 himself when he took the lead of the, uh, of the Hebrews during that time after the graduation of Moses to glory. All right? But these men served in their latter years. So it doesn't matter how young or matter how old, we are just simply to seek to serve the lord and serve one another serve no matter how old you are serve no matter who you are just serve and serve this way serve no matter who does or who doesn't (laughs) just do it just serve serve if others do or not listen the disciples did not know at this moment back in our text in john 13 the disciples 11 of them at least did not know that judas was the betrayer at least not initially Everybody trusted Judas. I mean, he was the one, as the Bible says, with the bag. He was the the one, he was the the treasurer, if you will. He held the money. He was entrusted with the money. You don't give somebody money you don't trust, all right? But they trusted him. And no doubt, they never would have believed or thought he would be the one to betray Jesus. And even all the disciples, when Jesus said, when are you going to betray me? All of them were like, well, is it me? Is it me? Nobody said, oh, it's Judas, all right. No one said that. They never would have believed it would be him. Not one of them would ever believe. ever believe it was him. But understand, after they found out the news that Judas was the betrayer, they were not going to allow that, not going to allow his actions of betrayal to control their actions of service to Christ. They were not going to allow that to happen. They were going to serve the Lord, whether Judas did or not. In the scripture, we find up, or, find, or meet up rather, with a man by the name of Demas. In Philemon, chapter 20, or verse 24, we find Demas, where the Bible says this about him, that he was a fellow laborer with, with Paul. And as you read on in scripture, we find in 2 Timothy 4.10, more about Demas later on, when it says this Demas for, had forsaken Paul, having loved this present world. So he went from a fellow laborer to a forsaker. That's what he was doing. But in that same group, we believe that Timothy was also serving alongside. We also know that Timothy was a fellow laborer with Paul, just like Demas. Therefore, that means this. Demas would be serving. He would be preaching. He'd be starting churches. All right. Timothy, he'd be preaching. He'd be serving. He'd be starting churches. All of that with Paul, serving alongside with Paul. Both these men were doing that. But at one time, at some time in his life, Demas forsook all of that. Having loved this present world. Don't you know that Timothy knew that? Don't you know that he knew about about Demas? But he was going to continue on serving whether Demas did or or not. He was not going to let Demas' actions shake him. He was not going to let that persuade him from serving the Lord. He was not going to let his friend bring him down or his friend keep him from doing what was right. He was going to serve God. Timothy was going to serve the Lord no matter if others did or not. And again, around this table this evening at the John, in John chapter 13, in this, in this moment, this portion of Scripture, not one of the disciples were prepared to be this humble servant. Not one of them. Not one of them was going to, but maybe they thought this. Maybe they thought this. Maybe they thought, we know the customs. We we know who's supposed to, or somebody's supposed to wash feet, but somebody else is going to do it. (laughs) Somebody else will do it. Let let somebody somebody else do it. And by the way, someone else did. It was the king. It was the Lord who became that servant that they would not become. Jesus wanted them to know. I want them to know to be a servant, even if others will or not. So don't wait to be served. Rather, step up and be the servant. Why? Look at verse 17 with me. John chapter 13, verse 17. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. If you serve. I think the the happiest people on earth are those who are serving people. People who serve. I think they're some of the happiest people. Really, they are. I believe they really are. Why? Because the Bible says several so for one, but you can just see it. Serving others. Talking about service. So let me ask you this evening, are you serving others? Now, no one likes to be called a servant, but you can find over 500 times in the Bible the word servant is used. And 40 of those times alone, you can look in the book of Mark. In the book of Mark alone, Jesus refers to himself as, as a servant. And if we will simply be a servant for the Lord, then we'll be acting just like Jesus, like Jesus himself. Jesus said this in Mark Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. So be like Jesus and just simply be a servant. And if we live that way, if we live that way, then one day we can look forward to hearing these faithful words from the Lord himself in Matthew 25, 21. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Simply serve. So in our world today, they say to be the greatest, you've got to step all over people. But Jesus says you'll be the greatest, you serve people. So let's just serve. Serve the Lord, yes, absolutely. Serve one another. Serve one another.